This is Jeremy Bassetti, and you're listening to Travel Writing World, a podcast featuring interviews with travel writers about their work and about the business and craft of travel writing. You can find the episode show notes, free travel writing resources, and much more at travelwritingworld.com. Hello, everyone. This is episode 93 of the Travel Writing World podcast. Joining me today is Jennifer Barclay, and we're talking about her book, The Taverna by the Sea, One Greek Island Summer. In this episode, we talk about Jennifer's fascination with living on the Greek islands and her experiences working in Greece. We also talk about her experience as a literary agent and the process of selling travel books, including a bit about what publishers like to see. Anyway, before we start the episode today, just a note to say, please tell your friends about the podcast, leave a review on the Apple Podcast app or whichever podcasting app you use, and support the show with only a few dollars a month at travelwritingworld.com forward slash support. Lastly, to stay up to date with travel, nature, and place writing news, join the hundreds of other subscribers and sign up for Genius Loci, my free monthly email roundup of news and links at jeremybassetti.com. That's with two S's and two T's. A new roundup goes out on the first of the month. So now, here is Jennifer Barclay. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's very nice to be here. Yeah, so you are a writer, an editor, and a literary agent. And, you know, I want to pick your brain about the agent part uh, a little bit later, but uh, not before first talking about your new book, The Taverna by the Sea, One Greek Island Summer, which comes out on Brat September 2022. So uh, your book recounts your experiences as a waitress on um, what sounds like <laughs> a beachside tourist restaurant um, on a Greek island, right? Is that on Carpathos? Is that right? Carpathos. Carpathos. Yeah. So Carpathos is kind of, it's it's halfway between Crete and Rhodes in the Dodecanese. Okay, yeah, I Google imaged it uh, or I Google mapped it, and it sound it looks yeah. pretty, uh, pretty far out there. Um, needing ferries to to visit it, and I think there's a little airport somewhere on the there island. There is an airport in the south, but mm-hmm. it's about an hour's drive, an hour and a half up to the north, which is where I went. Um, and I can tell you a little bit about that if, you, if you're interested, but I don't want to interrupt yeah. what you were asking me. No, yeah, your we'll get there. I did the, the, the question I wanted to first ask you is, um, you know, it's it, as far as I can tell, you'd already like settled in another Greek island. Um, and Absolutely, so you, yeah. you speak Greek, yeah. I, I, I'm assuming. Um, so, you know, what was like so appealing about working in a tourist restaurant whose hiring advertisement said that the applicant must be comfortable in a bikini? <laughs> Well, it said actually must be comfortable in beach. Okay. <laughs> Bikinis um, implied, okay. I guess. So yeah, I, just to give you a little bit of context, I, just, I I moved to an even smaller island in the same chain of islands, the Dodecanese in the South Aegean. I moved here um, in just over 10 years ago. Uh, and, uh, have, and that was a big adventure in itself. And that's kind of where I started writing books about Greece. Um, 
Uh, and it was that, that was very much when I did that, it was very much following my instincts that I needed to do something to shake up my life a little bit, have a, have an adventure, do something a little bit different. Um, uh, and yeah, the island where the island, this, that was the island of Telos, um, which has a population of about 500 people. It's a very small island. And, and that's that's an amazing experience in itself. Um, in the meantime, about five years after I moved there, um, I started writing, I started working on a book about the abandoned places of the Dodecanese. Um, I, or it wasn't, a, you know, I didn't know if it was going to be a book at the time, but I started exploring this idea of the um, the places on these islands that uh, where a lot of people used to live, even up to about half a century ago, um, places that were uh, where it was a subsistence living of farming and fishing, but also um, exporting products and, and uh, like fascinating history. And so I was I was exploring different islands in this chain, um, and I actually just planned a short trip around Easter. I wanted to go to Carpathos uh, before Easter, so before there were very many people around. And I specifically wanted to go to this village called Olimbos, um, which is right in the north in a very remote area of the island, mm-hmm. um, which still it still clings on to it's it's well known for clinging on to a lot of traditions that have been lost in other places um i knew i knew for example that the women of the village still wore traditional dress um as their ordinary clothes um it, it's not just not just for, for not just for show uh, and that the man there was a man who made leather boots still um, out of goat skin uh, in the traditional way, which nobody else you know is very, nobody else does in, I don't think in the Dodecanese. So I knew these things about Olympos and I wanted to go and explore. So I, I booked a short trip, uh, which actually turned out to it was quite a <laughs> even though I can actually see Carpathos from Telos. Uh, from my part of Telos on a on a clear day, it's not that far away, but it's. Uh, it, w- it was quite tricky to get to Olimbos um, because there's not m- not, m- not many transport connections. Even though it's yeah, it's not even far- that far from Rhodes, which has a lot of international flights. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that like a ferry? It, it, Olimbos has only only had a paved road to it, and only had a asphalt road to it about 15 years ago. Um, so it, it it's still quite cut off, and that. That was obviously part of the appeal for me. Um, I was quite fascinated to learn a bit more about it. So I went. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll see um, see how I get on. I just arrived in the south of the island. Uh, there was no bus. The taxis were very expensive. I didn't want to hire a car because I wanted to do a lot of walking. Um, and uh, I ended up kind of a combination of walking and hitchhiking up to the north of very far north of the island, where the the scenery becomes very rugged, very mountainous and windy. Um, and uh, I ended up in I, I found myself in Olimbos, uh, and yes, there were still there were no tourists around and very few you know visitors around at that point. It was before Easter, uh, and it was mesmerizing i was instantly hooked uh 
I, the, 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 the very dramatic, stunning landscape, very um, big, uh, big mountains and uh, crashing waves and views from this village down to down over expansive sea and women walking around in these extraordinary uh, traditional clothes to go and lift loaves of bread out of their wood-fired ovens that were built into the side of the mountain. I, I, I just There was just so many things about this place that um, I was absolutely hooked by. So uh, I, uh, I, I sort of felt like maybe I can stay a little bit longer. Um, and uh, I, I stayed a few days longer and then I stayed a few days longer. And then <laughs> this opportunity, <laughs> the, the, the man who... Uh, whose hotel I was staying in. When I say hotel, it was just a couple of rooms um, on the mountain. Uh, said he was looking for oh, some help at his taverna over the summer, and I should come back and help. Uh, we were just having a drink at the bar at the time, and uh, and I thought oh, that sounds like a great idea, <laughs> but but I can't do it. Of course, I have a I have a life back on another island. I have a dog. He said, bring your dog. You know, you can do your work uh, in your spare time and uh, come and do it. And at the time, I'd just been, I'd just been, work had been sort of a bit tricky for the last couple of months. Uh, I'd been working on a kind of project from hell that I was desperate to sort of close my computer and not look at it for a long time. And I thought, that could be amazing. Uh, I loved the idea of being, you know, helping out in a bikini <laughs> at this, uh, he showed me a picture of this place and it was, um, so the, the Taverna was, is, and in, um, it's, uh, uh, in a valley filled with olive trees, uh, very remote valley with sort of, uh, pine clad hills all around it down a very steep road, uh, in this, uh, bay with crystal clear, you know, sort of sapphire blue water. And I thought, yeah, if I could do this, maybe I could do it. Um, and so it, it evolved. <laughs> That's how it evolved. That's how it started. Yeah. Yeah. In, in my mind, um, I've never been to Greece, but in my mind, I have the image of like, you know, white, whitewashed villages on the cliffs that plummet into the sea and rows and rows of olive trees over the landscape heat and you know throngs yeah. of tourists you know taking pictures ah. of like the sunset or something you know like you, you see yeah. um on like santorini or something but um you need to mention that there were no visitors because it was before easter um yeah. it, is, was this uh, i've never heard of this island before um not yeah that I and is i, it I like hope a, it sort of stays that way yeah. <laughs> um because as beautiful as santorini is I would hate Carpathos to become it. I, I sort of I saw Carpathos. Funnily enough, I sort of saw it at the time as Santorini's wilder sister. Um, I'd actually, I actually, I'd actually had a job when I finished. Back when I finished university, um, and uh, I didn't know really what I wanted to do with my life, uh, and going to Greece seemed like the answer. I actually spent a year teaching English in Athens and traveling around the islands. And then in the summer, I talked my way into a job cleaning hotel rooms 
overlooking the volcano on, in uh, Santorini, um, as, uh, living in one of those lovely whitewashed buildings mm-hmm. uh, on the cliffs, looking over the sea. And um, it was a, that was a really wonderful experience as well. And I always sort of remembered it as a, one of my favorite jobs of all time. Um, uh, but, you know, I don't think I'd like to go back to Santorini because it's become so commercialized and so the, the, just the throngs of tourists doesn't appeal to me at all. Unfortunately, it's not my thing. I came to Greece. The, the kind of Greece I love is is more. Um, I like to have a beach to myself where possible. Um, I've become quite. Uh, yeah, I, I I I was looking for something a bit different. Um, so yeah, so so Carpathos. Yes, Olympos is a village that's clinging to the mountain and it's sort of not not quite the sort of white cube houses of the Cyclades which this which Santorini is in but um they it's quite distinctive painted house painted in ochre and pale blue mm-hmm. um with very decorative balconies so it, it it is a very beautiful village clinging onto the mountain and in the summer it does get very very busy the village itself as I was t- was to learn because um, the job I took on was helping Minas at his taverna at the beach, which was about a half an hour drive from the village. But it was also helping him with his hotel rooms up in the village. And so I was kind of going, I had one of the most spectacular commutes in the world, I think, driving between one location and the other in a very rusty larder uh, on quite freaky roads um and yeah the village of Olympos did get very very busy with tourists in the height of summer but it would only get busy with tourists in the middle of the day because they'd all come uh these people these visitors and i'm glad they do come to the village um the visitors would drive would either come up on tour buses or drive up in rental cars and spend a few hours in the middle of the day there and then they'd go back to wherever they're staying and the village would kind of return to normal in the evening and the morning which is really really nice um so yeah it's uh it's a little bit yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit different yeah, different sort of place and and as for the taverna by the sea where i was helping and where i was staying and living um the there's no tourist accommodation at all allowed and that was one of the one of the things that appealed to me about the opportunity i was offered with um there would be no way to stay there otherwise uh it's a it's a very protected area um there's a conservation rules in place the only buildings allowed in the valley are agricultural buildings um and the taverna had been made out of one of these agricultural buildings and just adapted gradually so uh it was uh it was there would be quite a few tourists coming in the middle of summer either driving down the road to get there or coming by um by fishing but like the excursion boat there's sort of fishing boats that are adapted into excursion boats from the nearby ports uh but it's you know it's, it's a fairly remote place and certainly not not um not as busy as uh it's so many places do get in the middle of summer and in fact what minas is the um owner of the taverna and he's one of his catchphrases <laughs> is that the road is a filter. 
because there's a lot of people who would not drive down that road um, <laughs> just to go to a beach. Uh, but the kind of people who did come to the Tifana were looking for something different. Yeah. They were looking for the kind of thing that I, the kind of thing that I was looking for. Yeah, that's great. It sounds rural in in the best possible way. And you know, you mentioned the um, kind of restrictions on building. There's a few scenes in the book that deal with uh, campers and people um, pitching tents yeah. and things. But um, you, something I want to double click on here. You 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 mentioned teaching English or teaching in Athens before, and you know, working in a country I think is, is an excellent way to to get to know um, a place and a culture. Um, you know, yeah. I taught in a high school in Spain for a year and man, you know, I learned a lot from that. And I imagine you did too from your work as a teacher, yeah. but also in the Greek, yeah. Greek taverna, because, you know, teaching, if it's English, it's different than, you know, working in a restaurant or like a, you know, for, um, for hospitality yeah. industry. Yeah. I, I think, um, one of the, one of the things I've tried to do since moving to Telos is get involved in something in the community because uh, my work, apart from writing books, is also editing books and occasionally selling books as an agent. And I spend a lot of time sitting at my desk at home. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so when opportunities have come up to sort of do something that involves me in the community in some way and gets and, and it, so that I can sort of really get under the surface of local life and and, and get to know what people's lives are like I've, I've always tried to embrace that uh, I've done I did actually help uh, the local kids with their English on my first year here and that was a fantastic way of just kind of getting to know people, getting to know who everybody is, mm-hmm. and also uh, learning what people go through in, in, on a small island. I just, one of the things that always sticks in my head is when I was teaching English in that first winter, and there was a power cut, and I assumed that all the kids would just cheer and say, "That's it, we're off home." You know, <laughs> see, <laughs> see right. you next week, Miss. And in fact, they just got out their mobile phones, put the torches on and carried on doing the work in their notebooks through <laughs> through the lights, the torches wow. from their mobile phones, which just <laughs> showed me how uh, how they're sort of very used to power cuts and used right. to dealing with them, <laughs> and also how much they care about learning, um, which, uh, which, which is extraordinary. So, so I've done that and I helped out with a local uh, art gallery for a while. I helped out in a tourist information office for a few weeks. I I helped uh, in a beach cantina serving coffees and sandwiches to people. Uh, so the, so working, at, working at the Tavana and the hotel was just an extension, a, farther, a, a sort of more extreme version of those things that I've done before to um, get me involved uh, yeah. with the local people. Yeah, so uh, Minas, the proprietor of the hotel and the restaurant. I, th- I believe he's Greek American, right? I think he was born in Boston yeah. or something in, in Baltimore. Baltimore. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I guess Greek, but kind of not really Greek as, you know, one, one foot in yeah. either side of the door, but it's, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's Karpathos. A lot of, a lot of people left the Dodecanese islands when things were tough and moved to the new world. And that's one of the things I was exploring in my book about the deserted places of the Dodecanese. Um, 
the previous book, uh, the, the other book. Um, and it, a lot of people left Olympos, the north of Karpathos, for either Baltimore or New York. And were very often started out just working as cooks um, in restaurants. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so, so Minas worked in his, yeah, worked in his family's uh, diner uh, in downtown Baltimore. And uh, he chose to come back to Greece when he was in his late teens. He'd always, uh, like so many Greek families who live uh, in America or Australia, they come back to their island in the summers. The, the kids tend to spend their summers with grandparents on the islands. Uh, and he decided at the age of 16, when he was with his, staying with his grandparents in Piraeus, and he went to a bar and they served him a beer. <laughs> he said, I want to stay in Greece. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so he'd, um, he, he's, yeah, an interesting mix. Like a lot of people in that part of Karpathos, an interesting mix of American and, and Greek. Mm -hmm. So the book that you were referring to earlier is Wild Abandoned, uh, Wild Abandoned, where you um, kind of goes check out the deserted uh, places. Yeah, that's so that's so that, that's what I was originally working on or thinking about and researching when I went to Carpathos. I um I, it was about it was about the places that were abandoned when people left and went to the new actually mostly Australia or um, or, or the United States of America, but also sometimes Africa or Germany or Russia. People people left to get to have a a better standard of living. To to they, I mean, people were starving back in the sixties and seventies on some of these islands, and so I I was interested in the places that got left behind and how they sort of re began to revert to the wild. But there are still traces of the old way of life there and I was interested in the people who left and the lives they built in other in 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 the new world and the people who stayed as well and the and their lives too and the, generally the things what we leave behind on the landscape um what we leave behind today and the beauty of what was left behind mm -hmm. in the last hundred years yeah it sounds interesting Oh, so Thank the, you. The, the Taverna is uh, quite remote, as, as you mentioned, um, yeah. next to a secluded beach um, and 30 minutes or so from the village. And, you know, I imagine the, the remoteness on the off season when, you know, there aren't tourists bothering everyone. <laughs> uh, and like, the remoteness <laughs> and the isolation is part of like the draw and the appeal. But I, I imagine yeah. that it posed some challenges for, for you and your work as, you know, as an editor and as an agent too, no? Well, <laughs> it, I decided for the summer just pretty much to take the summer off okay. um, from that kind of work. I mean, I tried to do a little bit to begin with. Um, we managed to get internet by uh, by getting satellite internet, um, mm -hmm. which was everything seemed to be a little bit more compli complicated than you would think because of the remoteness. So. 
uh, it took them quite a while to figure out where actually we were. And they, they kept calling us to say, just to, just to put the internet in, they, they kept calling us to say, um, you know, we'll, 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 call, we'll call you when we're coming to install the satellite dish. And we had to try and explain, well, you can't call us. We don't have a phone signal in the valley. If we had a phone signal, then we probably wouldn't need satellite internet. Right. So, so things like that were complicated. But And, and I could have um, continued to work, but gradually things got very, very busy over the summer. And I just decided to pretty much put my own work on hold just to, as a lot of businesses closed down in Europe for the summer anyway, mm-hmm. and it wasn't too too much of a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, it did mean I was sort of quite ready to get back to my own work by the time September came right. around. I was able, to, I had a bit of time to myself again. Uh, Why was that? To, what, uh, for a bit of peace and quiet. What, what kind of work were you doing in the Taverna? Was it just like cooking and cleaning, that kind of well, menial labor? Or yeah. A bit of everything. So for <laughs> for we did have from time to time we had some help, but sometimes we didn't. And for a few a couple of months really <laughs> during the busiest part of the season, Minas and I were running a hotel and a restaurant in two separate locations, pretty much single-handed. So we were doing everything um, from the cleaning um, to the, and the cooking and, uh, and greeting people and sitting down and having a good time with people uh, and then dashing up to the village to clean a room uh, for people checking in. Uh, so... Yes, it was. Uh, there were times when I really didn't have. Um, there were days when I really didn't have any time to eat, <laughs> uh, apart from when I would take. I'd, I'd make bread in the morning because um, we had to make our own bread because we were too far away from to from anywhere, and it was great to make our own bread. But yeah, I'd, some some days I'd take the bread out of the oven, eat it all very very quickly. And that would be pretty much all I would eat for the rest of the day. Um, uh, and it was amazing how you could keep going, really, with the, the diet of just bread and booze sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> because, yeah, we, you could like, have a beer, keep going, have a have a racky with the customers, uh, and then keep going, go for a swim, uh, and then eat at the end of the day. But they, and uh, you, you asked about the remoteness. I mean, there were lots of also lots of other challenges uh the the water had to be pumped down from the village uh into the valley uh by a a fairly <laughs> a fairly fragile pipe um uh which would often get broken by goats oh, no. rambling around <laughs> the hillsides and uh there was one day for example one of the craziest days of summer where we woke up to no water in the pipes um and Minas had to go and fix that. And I handled the people arriving for lunch on my own. And then uh, just as things were seeming okay, the hot water tank exploded. And then we were having a live music. So that was one of the busiest days of the summer. We had a live music session. And then I was just thinking after that, well, finally, we can relax and uh, have a have a have something to eat and and maybe go for a swim. And Minas announced that he'd actually just bought a goat and was going to roast it on the spit for dinner 
And so we were going to have a fall to Verna for the rest of the day as well. And you just had to laugh and <laughs> pour another yeah. drink and get on with things. <laughs> yeah. So I also wanted to um, ask you about your agent work uh, and your experiences, yeah. you know, working with authors and also selling books um, to yeah. p- uh, publishers, particularly travel books. So, you know, you have um, you have sold the rights or books to publishers, travel books to publishers now for, for several years. So just like, you know, based on your experience, um, you know, what does the, the landscape look like for, for selling travel books in 2022 mm-hmm. and, and moving forward? Well, obviously, travel book publishers uh, had a had a really tough time during the COVID pandemic when people couldn't travel. And mm-hmm. also, not only that, but you couldn't get coverage for travel books in the media. Uh, it was very it was very difficult for publishers to stay in business. Really, sometimes. Uh, especially um, Brat, who are publishing my new uh, my new book, and uh, I do quite a lot of work with. They publish guidebooks uh, to far of the, out of the way places, so they were really struggling to um, stay afloat. Mean, meanwhile, what I've been really noticing in publishing in general, and I, I know this sounds terribly n- negative, it, that a lot of the big publishers really need an author to have a a platform Mm. which involves a television presence or a a huge social media presence or already be famous in some way. Uh, It's very, very difficult for an author who's just written a good book to get uh, a publisher. Uh, with a, when to get a to get published by one of the big publishing houses, which are increasingly conglomerating and becoming one publishing house, um, and that's what I, that that's a trend I've been seeing for quite a long time. And so it's uh, it's it, it's it, that that makes things difficult. On the other hand, um, I have been working with. Media, small to medium-sized independent publishers for quite a long time. I started when I first moved back to the UK after living abroad for a number of years. I worked as first commissioning editor and then editorial director of a small publisher called Summersdale, who had a very mm-hmm. strong travel writing list as, as well as doing lots of other things. And um, they were they were quite successful with certain uh, books by people who weren't necessarily already famous. Uh, and I, so I uh, like to work with the independents like Brat, like Somersdale, like um, uh, Bloomsbury, sometimes like iBooks. These are, these are British publishers um, who still take a chance on books. When we had a Brat took a chance on um, a book called Minarets in the Mountains by Tariq Hussein, mm-hmm. who um, I was representing. And it was during the time when they were still struggling to stay in business. And uh, a, a lot of other publishers were nervous whether the, the book would have a wide enough appeal. But um, 
Brat were successful in getting the rights to the book. Uh, we felt that they were the right publisher for the book, and it 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 won. Um, it, it's been sort of <laughs> being recommended a book of the year. Uh, it's been nominated for big big prizes. Uh, it was uh, one of Stanford's best selling uh, talks when he when he when Tarek did a talk. Um, so. Thank goodness for the publishers like that. And I'd like to work with that sort of publisher. Right. Yeah. So like, you know, we, we hear about like in proposals, say what, what does a publisher want to see in a proposal? And you just mentioned now like a platform, but I guess also yeah. the, the common answer is, um, you know, good writing. They want to see a really good writing. Um, um, and I imagine yes. that's, I mean, a- that's, 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 of course it has to, something has to yeah. be good, has to be well-written, but there also needs to be some kind of hook. Um, it can't just be, I went to Greece and this is what I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, the publishers are looking for a good story that's going to not only sell to, you know, not. I think, I think it's also because uh, readers feel that they can go online to find information right. about a place. So, what we're always looking for is something that tells a, a great story where you might, you, you're going to learn about a place along the way, but there's also um, something else, something bigger, whether it's a, a, you know, often a personal story um, or an idea. Um, right. Selling the, the idea. To hang those details on. And of course, there has to be great writing. There has to be great details and descriptions, um, uh, all the things that make a good narrative. Right. Mm. Yeah, that that uh, and also yeah, I mean uh, as much as possible even if you even if the author is not famous, uh some indication that the author is going to be able to go out there and help sell books. They're not because because <laughs> authors can't just sit back and wait for a publisher to do all the promotion. Uh that it doesn't work like that. It's too it, it uh, anymore. Um so an author has to have ideas about how they're going to help sell that book as well. And who's going to buy it? Why are they going to buy it? How are you going to tell them about it? How are they going to learn about it? Because, you know, it's not, it's not going to be advertising. Uh, it's a question of um, finding ways to, to hook the media into writing about this book. Mm-hmm. The, the market or the business case of the book. Um, I was going to ask you also um, about, uh, you know, you're, we're talking about selling the idea of a book, but, you know, this mm-hmm. begs the question, you know, does the book need to be completely finished or is uh, are a few chapters and an introduction and like a business case for the book sufficient? Yeah, it, it, dep- it depends. It uh, depends again on the kind of book. And I wish we had more time to talk about this. But um, the uh, often uh, a, a few chapters, a substantial chunk of the book, but a, a few chapters may be, and, and an outline may be enough. Uh, as long as it's not going to take too long to then complete the book. The the problem with that is that if a publisher is sort of hooked into the first few chapters, they want to finish it. They want to know what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to be able to, you have to be able to supply also uh, the, you know, an outline that shows what happens in the story and to be, to be in a position to complete it um, in a, in the next year um but maybe sooner um that's if it has a really strong hook 
Mm-hmm. Uh, if the if the author, there's a, for example, my client Ishbel Holmes, uh, who wrote a book about saving a street dog in Turkey, who the the street dog really saved her in the end. Uh, it, it was a, 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 a she had a very strong idea for that book, and we actually sold the book based on the first few chapters of that, which were very compellingly written, but she also had a great following and she'd had a lot of interest from from publishers and from media already. Um, so she was in a position to do that, to go out to publishers with a, with a, with a proposal and a couple of chapters. Yeah. Well, that's great. Jennifer, we're running out of time. Zoom's going to shut yeah. down on me. So <laughs> thank, you. Yeah. thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat with me today. Thank you. It's been great talking to you. You can find the episode show notes and much more at TravelWritingWorld.com. Please remember to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app. And if you find the show valuable, please consider leaving a review or supporting the show with only a few dollars a month at TravelWritingWorld.com support.